Welcome to Fantasy Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast by this couple who's read more than a couple of fantastic books. We're your hosts, Sam. And Anna. And let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And this is Anna. And it's our one-year podcast anniversary! Woo! Or- we are so excited to have you here with us to celebrate one year of awesome podcasting, fun adventures, great times, and a great book series. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this was something we started just for fun during uh, when quarantine started. Thanks, COVID. And we didn't know where the podcast would take us. And just seeing the way the podcast has grown over the past year and getting all this awesome feedback from you, the listeners, has really made a fun activity so much more enjoyable. So thank you all so much. Yeah, it's been super awesome to engage with like the fandom and interact with lots of other fans of the Kingkiller Chronicles and people who have been listening to the podcast especially with lots of people who reach out with like theories um, and book recommendations. So I think we're going to just spend our one year anniversary episode going over some of our favorite King Killer Chronicle theories um, and just kind of shooting the shit about what the third book might hold. Yeah, no, there's a lot of cool speculation of what's to come. I mean, personally, I've prepared a handful of theories. Some I like, some I don't think I care for. In terms of like my predictions, but it is really interesting to see like how many clues have been peppered in throughout the books and how Patrick Rothfuss has like built a world where there is so much speculation about like what the third book's going to be. Because usually it's just plot, but there's like so many layers of like what characters are involved with what and like who people's real identities are. So it should be really exciting whenever that third book eventually comes out. I know. And it's like, I don't know, bittersweet because... Since there hasn't been a book three, there's been so much for speculation and us included. Oh, it just included. keeps, like, growing and growing, the amount of speculation that people have done. And, like, diving in and, like, he intentionally writes that way for everybody to, like, pick up these little breadcrumbs and clues and weave them together to have these big ideas. But then for him to eventually either confirm or deny certain things is going to be kind of sad. Like, I know. But- I think I'll be happy just knowing though it has been so fun to like sleuth around through the books and like be like oh what does this mean what does this thing well you know this thing that mentioned in first book like now comes back up in the end of the second book or whatever so i think it'll be cool but i do Mm. think whatever whenever eventually it comes out i'm gonna obviously be so excited to read it um but i think it'll also be interesting for the podcast when we move on to some other fantasy books like comparing different writing styles and um you know books that might be more plot heavy seeing how we interact with those on the podcast because i know you and i love to deep dive into things yeah and then me and my twin brother elliot we're going to be doing a mini series on the aragon book soon so yeah very excited at the beginning of the year i read the series of unfortunate events series again which is like a children's book and even that like the author loved to leave some of the questions unanswered and i find that equally frustrating and satisfying as a reader and i have a feeling patrick Rothfuss is going to do the same thing to us oh i know it's going to kill me inside a little bit i like i like leaving things open-ended because i think sometimes authors take things too far or like perfect case in point like jk rowling who's been like editing her 
her universe for like a decade after the Harry Potter series ended mm. and has been like changing and adding and being like, ah, yeah, Nagini was a woman the whole time. Like, like no, <laughs> that's not what we want. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is just a one year anniversary homage to like Patrick Rothfuss's really good writing and like how much fun we've had picking things apart. I'm sure we'll do more of these because there are so much yeah, in the King Yeah, we couldn't Chronicles. even cover all of them in this. I wrote 13 pages of notes in preparation, and uh, the reason this is late is because, and I'm not going to, I apologize that it is late, but I'm not sorry. I got COVID, and then I got strep throat right after, so I wrote these notes before I got sick, uh, and I haven't re-refreshed myself on them, so I will do my best. But That is why the long-awaited anniversary episode is so late. I was very sick, and... I think we're just a little bit behind on getting it out. So I hope you all enjoy it. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not going to apologize for being sick. No, we're just glad you're okay. Just an explanation as to like why we disappeared for a little while and hadn't posted anything. Absence makes a heart grow fonder. (laughs) We're back. I mean, that's definitely the the theme of book three is why it's not out. Yeah. Absence. People are growing fonder and angrier all at once. I know. But I am pretty ready to jump into my theories because I have a lot of notes, like I said. Um, But I just wanted to start out with, like, just chatting about, like, what we know. So most of my theories revolve around the Chandrian and the Cathay. And I just wanted to, like, chat about what we know about the Chandrian and the Adem as plot devices first, just to give, like, background context. So in the books... Theoretically, what we know is that the Chandrian are introduced in book one when they kill Kavoth's troop, and they are seen as, like, the epitome of the villains. Um, there's seven of them. The leader is Haliax, who was Lonre from the Creation War, which apparently took place about 5,000 years before the current time. I learned that in my research. And uh, Lonre was a hero who got corrupted, and then he was cursed, and as part of his curse, he can't die, and he is his. He's also surrounded by shadow. He has seven followers who are now the Chandrian. They each have their own signs. There's speculation as to who they are. A lot of people think they are paralleled with people in the myth of Ancanus and Telu, the like religious myth of the world. But I don't think we really know too too much about where the Chandrian came from. There's lots of myths about them, but Quoth can't find any information, except for when he eventually makes his way to Adem and gets a lot of information from the Adem. Um, and then the enemies of the Shandrian are the Amir, who are supposedly the good guys, and they are supposed to work for the greater good, but that means that they can do anything without really being reprimanded, which is kind of strange for a good guy yeah total abuse of power yeah um eventually theoretically the emir were founded by salitos who's the one who cursed lanre and he gathered up followers they were asked to join telu's angels and said no because they wanted to just hunt the chandrian but then later on from the cathay in the fey realm we find out that there were no human emir the original emir were just fey so those are kind of like the basic ideas of the two groups the good and the bad groups, theoretically. 
But how that's playing out has been pretty interesting, and I have a couple of theories about like their identities and stuff. Well, it is interesting that one thing they both have in common is that um, any common knowledge of them is has been wiped from modern history. Yeah, so that ha- plays into a lot of the theories that I have, mostly having to do with like why they are doing that and like what would the purpose be. So I guess I'll just jump right into this theory, which is that the Shandrian's goal is to, this is a two-part theory, but like um, people have been trying to figure out what the goal of the Shandrian is, because the only thing we know is that they showed up at Kvost Troop and wiped everyone out, and like they don't seem like they're just needlessly killing people. Because they would probably be doing it a lot more if that were the case. Exactly. So they're killing for a reason. So the first um, theory I came up with is that the Shandrian's goal is to destroy um, all knowledge of themselves so that they can die. So we know that the the Shandrian and Landry are immortal, and obviously we know in this book how powerful names are, and the theory is that like they can't die and escape the, the curse of being immortal and the curses that they've been set with until all evidence of them has been forgotten and they can change their names and break the curse and finally die. Ooh, that's Um, actually really cool and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and the one clue that really has helped support this is that, um, well, there's a couple, but in the confrontation between Lonry and Salitos when Lonry becomes Haliax, at one point Salitos gives him clarity of view and Lonry begs for him to be killed. He's like, please kill me. So that is... A really interesting thing for someone who has betrayed everyone he knows. It's like, almost he's... like he wasn't in control. Now he has a moment. Yeah. So that's what people are kind of pulling on. Is like maybe he is either being manipulated or controlled, but like he doesn't like the fate that he's been stuck with. And their goal is to erase all evidence of themselves and finally be able to escape. I mean, that's what makes sense too, because... They killed the whole farm due to the fact that there was that vase. They killed Kavolt's troop due to the fact that they were singing the wrong kinds of songs. Yeah. And the libraries have all been purged. And even though they're not necessarily a race from like recorded history, when they are described, it's literally just uh like storybook nursery rhyme kind of things. Like they go they run amok in the night. You know, yeah, like, milk, milk turns sour. Like yeah. it's very vague, and the only place Kavoth eventually comes across their names is when he's in a dem. Yeah, and or they have a poem. Shane. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. She tells him that poem with their names in it, but he doesn't know them until then. And also in that confrontation between Lonry and Salitos, Salitos literally says, "This is my doom upon you. Your own name will be turned against you, so you have no peace." Oh, uh, so, so like the, the- his name might be binding him to this curse. Well, that must make sense because when Ben was talking with Arladin and Kavos' mother, he wouldn't say the names of the Shandrian out loud. He would write them down. <gasps> oh, yeah. So, like, literally their name is a curse. And so if anyone speaks their name enough, and, like, they were discussing that in the Waystone Inn with the Boston Chronicler, that if you say the Shandrian's name enough, they'll know where you are. Because oh, they're trying to erase who they are. Right. So, like, literally they want to wipe their name from history. So anytime someone says their name, it, it like, alerts them. And 
That's why they dispatch people. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like they're just trying to wow. get through the doors of death because the other doors have been like closed off to them. Oh, that's and there's actually no really rest. Cool. There's no rest. And like if they've been stuck with this for that, like what, 5,000 years now, like that's got to suck. <laughs> I know. Well, that was the interesting thing because like I never thought about it before, but you brought it up to me when we were just talking the other night. It was like. Each engine has a sign, and it's not necessarily... I always kind of envision their sign being a byproduct of their powers. That's how I did, too, until I came across this, like, tidbit. Yeah, and but instead, it's, like, their curse of being the Shandrian is, like, whatever environment they interact with is kind of, a like, a bad curse of the things they once loved or enjoyed. Yeah, so someone was saying that, like, the curse of... Uh, there's that one the sh- one of the Shandrian rots metal and yeah, one rots everything. wood so they were saying maybe the person who like rusts metal was a blacksmith in their life and maybe the person who rots wood was like a woodworker or like a farmer or a woodsman and like now like everywhere they go they're destroying the things that they love yeah I don't know what blue flame would signify other than maybe like like I don't know if it was like an aversion to the color or is necessarily like Maybe they were once like a. Does it have to do with arcan? Yeah, like maybe being like, artificing or something like that. Maybe like. Th- I mean, from what we can tell in like the myths of the world, like namers and shapers and knowers were all early forms of sympathists and arcanists. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be too surprised if people, like five thousand years ago at the beginning of the creation war had more powerful and different powers that have since been like diluted over time into sympathy oh absolutely i mean think about even when elodin was talking about the university like the old school ways of like alir raylar and elf of like people who saw things people who spoke things people i don't know what elf did but or did Um, things shaped things things, maybe (gasps) but like those actual brackets of knowledge and secrets and naming at the university like yeah And that's thousands of years post-creation war where people actually knew true magics. Right. Because it seems like, from what we can tell, and we haven't come up like across this stuff in the book yet, like going through the podcast, but like the amount of information that Kavoth gathers in the Fey realm about the creation war and about like how magic used to work, I think is super important for how this all pieces together. Oh yeah, it's staggering. Though I think like... uh, one of the lines stays with me all the time, and I love it. It's like, Kavoth is with Valerian, and, mm-hmm. you know, they've been shacking up and hanging out. <laughs> and he is trying to ask her about the Shandrian, and she literally was like... She doesn't want to talk about them, right? No, she doesn't. And she, like, grab, like you know, holds him by the face, and she's like, never ask... Uh, to speak of the seven to me ever again or like i'll leave you like whipped and bloody and like weeping leaving this place and like Ugh. she's very powerful she is like i mean she uses her magics like sparingly and yeah. it seems like for very peaceful things but i think when she wants to like she's a wrecker oh yeah no she totally is but the fact that like she even won't speak of it means that their their names are directly linked to a curse and we, oh, do, we do get confirmation yeah. of that at the Waystone, like I was mentioning before, like mm-hmm. with Conocler and Boss, because Kavolt mentions the story that he learned from Shane, and he says, like, never repeat this story again unless you walked, like, so many hundred miles and, like, did all these things, and then you can do it again. Yeah, it's very, like, nerve-wracking. Yeah, so you gotta be, like, super-duper careful. Yeah. 
which is cool. And obviously we know how powerful names are. That thing that, that Ferlurian brought up, though, is interesting because she calls the Shandrian the Seven. Yeah. And one of the theories I came across is that, like, maybe Kavoth has confused the group of people who came to his troop for a different group, potentially. This was kind of a convoluted theory, but basically what it got down to is that, like, in the story, the Cathay and Ferulian call the Shandrian the Seven, and Shayan calls them Rinta, and all three of them say, Shandrian's not a good name for them, these are better names, referring to Rinta and the Seven. So, potentially, the Shandrian are not necessarily who Kavoth thinks they are. And there's a the theory kind of like thought maybe the group that showed up at his troop weren't the Shandrian. Like maybe they were someone else. They never announced themselves as the Shandrian. Kvoth kind of assumes that's who they are. And it gets a little co- complicated because like we know that the Emir will do anything for the greater good, even if it makes no sense to the outside eye. So potentially like this group that showed up and killed Kvoth's troop is either the Emir or some other group, but like the Shandrian might not be the seven. They might be like a splinter group of the Emir. So we know that like sometimes in the past, some members of the Emir have been held accountable by other members. Um, so like Mayor Alvaron says something like that. And then later on, Kvoth finds a book by the Duke of Gibeah, who like cut up thousands of people to study their insides in quote unquote, like for the greater good. But then the Emir eventually apprehended him, um, even though he was an Emir. So this theory basically uh, said that like when this group kills Kvothe's troop and Haliax reminds them that he protects them from the Emir, they might be like a splinter group off of the Emir. Hmm. Um, and then, so I got this from Reddit user Q, who actually has a ton of other really interesting fan theories. That's Q-O-O-U. Um, and then their last part was that like if this is potentially true, then this group, the Shandrian, might actually be part of Telu's uh, angels and Kvothe might accidentally kill one of the Shandrian mistaking them for the actual seven uh, and that would be like his folly oh wow I'm not sure if all of those pieces necessarily fit together huh. I do like the idea that Kvothe might accidentally kill an angel or kill one of the Shandrian and that ends up being his folly depending on how that plays out but <sighs> I don't know. It was interesting. That is interesting. I, I I like the idea. I think the details don't add up, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah, I like the idea, and I like that because we know, as we said, names are so important that like the Cathay and Fulian are like, oh, don't call them the Shandrian, call them the Seven, and Shane says, don't call them the Shandrian, call them Rinta. Like that might be important for some things, but I I'm just not really sure how it like then pieces together with the other parts of the puzzle. We might not have enough information yet. But it is kind of cool. Alright, so I'm gonna... Unless you got it, you want to keep going. I've got more, but, like, jump in. Well, more with the Shandrian right now? Oh, I can give you my final Shandrian one. So my other one has to do with the other goal of the Shandrian. So remember I said the first theory about their goal was that they were trying to erase all evidence of themselves so they could die. The second goal that I came across, which was a combination of theories that I took from Music Lover 77, Kilvin Lathani, and Poorly Lit Kiwi 2 on <laughs> Reddit, <laughs> is that the Shandrian's goal is to unlock the doors of stone using the contents of the lockless box. Ooh, okay. 
So I have a huge theory later as to like what will happen when the doors of stone unlock. But until I like unveil all of that, I might just say like this will lead to like bad things happening in the world, which we know does happen because like the Skrail are out and everything like the Fae is unleashed. But most theories think that the lockless box holds the piece of glass that Salitos used to gouge out his eye. Oh, that's not what I was expecting it to be in there. Yeah, I really hadn't. I thought it was going to be like a key to, in order to open the doors of stone or like the four plate door at the university. So I guess the reasoning behind this is that the box is described as being made of rinna wood, which is what the tree that the cafe is in is. So the same type of wood. And then the clue... Uh, at one point, Kavos says that it feels like a heavy piece of glass in the box. And the only other time that there's like a reference to that is that Salitos used mountain glass, which would be obsidian, to like cut his eye out. I mean, there's other contexts of glass in the book. I think he says obsidian, though. Okay. Which is like pretty particular. Let me see if I can find... Let's say, because they talk about twice tough glass in the fishery. They talk about the glass bottle and Kavos uses that as a weapon. That's true. So they mentioned glass. Obviously, none of those items would be in the box. The box is like hundreds of thousands of years old. So Right. Like, it's got to be something really old. Mm. But um, let me see if I can find the evidence for it being Salitos. Oh, this is a theory that it has keys inside of it. Or not keys, rings. Like, remember all the rings oh. that Lady Lackless has? Um, so the main clue is that it's Roa Wood. Not copper or iron, which would have something to do with sympathy for either the Fae or for the human world. And then one of the things we know is that the lackless box sounded like it has heavy glass inside of it. So people have just guessed that it is potentially the glass shard. But it could be a glass book. It could be totally something else. Huh. Interesting. But it seem- people seem to think that the glass is being used to bind Salitos to the box somehow really yeah um because there is a theory that i will tease is that uh salitos might be the cafe oh yeah so i have a huge theory that like like... i have discussed with sam already because i like could not keep my excitement in that i think is correct but the fact that salitos is the cafe is also like a huge leading theory and it makes a lot of sense but anyway if the Chandrian are trying to get whatever's in the lockless box, this would explain, and this makes so much sense to me, and I never realized why, but this would be why Cinder was in the woods with the bandits, because they knew Meloin was moving towards Master oh. Alvaron, Mayor Alvaron, would know that the box is moving with her and would want to ambush her and capture the box, which leads Kavos to that whole plot with the bandits and everything, but it explains, like, why Cinder is there, because there's never an explanation as to, like, what he's doing with these human bandits. Right. Yeah, they, they could be trying to locate the lockless box for whatever reason, um, either to break the curse that Slitos put on them, so using the glass with Slitos' blood on it to break the blood binding that Slitos did to create the curse, or, I don't know, depending on whatever else is in the box, it could be something else. Oh my goodness, so it's like definitely possible, but it's a lot to unpack. There's definitely a lot of speculation. Yeah, and it's hard because we don't know what's in the box, obviously. No. 
And I had never thought of it being the glass. I hadn't really thought about that glass being important in any kind of way. But if it does have Sleetos' blood on it and the Shandrian are bound by a blood binding, like they might need to use the blood to reverse it. Wow. Super duper cool. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty cool potential. Mm-hmm. So that covers a good majority of our fan theories involving the Shandrian right now. And we're actually going to shift gears to some of the other notable characters in this book and some of the fan theories surrounding them. One of the fan theories that's very commonly convinced and believed by a lot of the people in the fandom is that Kavos' mother is Natalia Lackless and a member of the Lackless family. Yes. So, um, just for like background info, we know for a fact that Meloin Lackless does not care for the Edema Rue because her sister... Um, she believes was either like kidnapped or ran off with the uh, member of the Edema Room. Yep. And she's resentful of that. And um, another good piece of evidence is that every time Kubo sees her, he always mentions there's something familiar about her, but he can't like put his finger on yeah, it. Yeah, he constantly was like, "She looks familiar." <sighs> it's so frustrating. It's like, dude, staring you in the face. But so um, <laughs> there is a couple of poems that are spoken in name of the wind and wise man's fear involving natalia lackless and they're both kind of crude and kavoth is absent-mindedly singing it one day around his wagon when his mom um hears him and is kind of stern and says that's about somebody how do you think they would feel if you know you were saying there's a difference between singing a song about something and singing a song about someone which is interesting because, like, Kavoth and his, like, troupe perform songs and things and plays all the time. Yeah. And Kavoth's dad definitely makes some, like, body songs up. Like, he definitely makes some things. So, like, she took this one personally and there's, like, no track record for her to have done so. Right. And so there's also um, a song that Arladin had written about his wife, Lorian, and... I'm not going to recite the whole thing right now, but however, there is a heterograph in the last line that says, um, well, I'll say the last little bit of it, but it's worth my life to make my wife not tally a lot less. And so the line not tally a lot less is a heterograph of Natalia Lackless. A lot of the People in the fandom think that this was kind of Patrick Rothfuss' sneaky way of kind of admitting to the audience that, you yeah. know, Kavoth's mother is a lackless. Which is really cool then, because if so, Kavoth is the, after Meloin, the only, like, heir to yeah, the Yeah, he's like the male fortune, heir, yeah. And he bumps way up, like, ahead of Ambrose and everybody in terms of, like, line to the throne, I believe. Which is funny. It's like the Edema Rue, like, born a bastard, like, comes from nothing, is lowest of the low, and, like, has I mean, royal blood in his veins. also a theory that Kavoth is is lackless and half fae, and, like, that Arladin's not his father. Yeah. So. yeah. We can definitely get into that in a moment. Um, one thing I did want to mention, right now I'm reading off the wiki page. However, um, those of you who are big King Killer Chronicle fans, definitely check out um, Captured in Words. It's a YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. We get um, a lot of content from that YouTube channel. That I guy puts I'm not together sure very... the kid's name. 
I forget. He puts together really comprehensive videos. I watched a lot of the videos like in preparation for this episode. But yeah, he has a whole video breaking down that poem like word by word and line by line, explaining how it adds up to be Natalia Lockless. One thing I think is pretty interesting, and this is just like statements, is that like the Lockless family is so old. And obviously we know that because of their estate, but there's also... Um, there's Devin Lockies. Yeah. Oh. Who sounds like a Lackless. Yeah. And there's I was also Eax or Jax, who is described as a luckless boy or a boy with no luck. Therefore, luckless, potentially luckless. a luckless or a Lackless. Lockless, yeah. Yeah. So, like, they go way, way, way back. Because I think it's Breden um, who mentions that, like, their family is, like, the Lackless family is so old that the name has changed over time. And right. Yeah, like, its descendants could be, like, so many, like, so many. generations. Right. I think that also is commonly accepted that Lyra is a Lackless as well, Lonray's wife. Oh, really? I think I've heard that in a couple of places. That's I think pretty cool. I think she's paralleled in the other poem about Lady Lackless, because there's the poem about, like, Lady Lackless uh, has the rocks, keeps them under her black dress. Yeah. And there's, like, thought that, like, black dress might be the black of, of Dross and Tour, which is the battle oh. that Lyra... Um, revived Lonray from the from the dead. In so would the rocks be? Oh no, not the volcanic glass. No, I think they're. I don't remember what the rocks are. Then I know it's like an innuendo for like his balls and like as a joke and like <laughs> yeah. thing. But but I think it, the poem is supposed to be theoretically like a recipe for the things that will open the lackless door eventually. Wow! Because there's like a candle and some rings mentioned, some rocks. It's like. A very specific set of items that are mentioned in both poems. A mythical grocery list. <laughs> but really. I need some bread. I need some milk. It's some eggs. It's gonna snow. I'm gonna open the lackless sword. Now give me some eggs. <laughs> but jumping back to what you were mentioning about Kavoth basically being like half fey. Yeah, that's there's also a that theory whole too. line Arladin was saying way back when like they're the sitting around the fire. Beginning. It's like, oh, perhaps... Uh, you know, a fae or someone, like, bedded my wife. Yeah, like, he says it jokingly, but I, it might be true because... Oh, it's definitely partially true, because everyone always says Kavolta's, like, fae around, around the edges. And he's, like, a red-headed, like, boy, and neither of his parents were described to have red hair. No. He also goes in and out of the fae realm pretty easily, and most people can't escape Florian. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I know he, like, kind of makes a bargain with her, but... And I think most he adapts to it pretty well. Most convincing to me is yes, all characters are flawed, and yes, we are getting the story from Kavolt's perspective, and we don't know how reliable of a narrator he is for his own story. No, but he seems to be a little bit exceptional in a lot of ways. Exactly when it comes to like his abilities at the university and uh, artificing, and eventually fighting Language. and music and yeah, like it just he seems more yoked than the average like person. And it's cool because he's not like a Mary Sue character where you're just like good and perfect at everything. Right. He's like, definitely he's flawed. He's got really good abilities, but he does not put them to use in the best of ways. Right. So I think he's an interesting character, but I do think it is interesting that like he might be part Fae and just how he ties into like Eax and the other Lackless characters, I think is going to end up being really interesting. But I, th I think at this point it's like mostly accepted that like he is a Lackless. Yeah, I think so. Which is pretty cool. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, one other interesting theory about Kavoth is that he might now be a Shandrian. 
Yeah, when you were telling me this, <laughs> I like literally was like sitting in bed and like I was literally like, oh my god, oh my god, and, like yeah. So it's come up a few different times. The main piece of evidence for it is that like, way at the very beginning when Chronicler first shows up in Name of the Wind, he challenges Kavoth and says, oh, people are saying there's a new Shandrian out there, like one with uh, hair as red as flame, and Kavoth doesn't dismiss this. Yeah. He almost just like exce- like says it. He goes, the true people know the difference. That's it, yeah, but almost in like a weary way of like, ugh. Yeah, like it's not even worth getting into. Right. Which I think has to do, if he says that, the true people know the difference, I think that might have to do with, like, how he becomes a Shandrian. Yeah. Because I'm trying to, if you think about being a Shandrian as, like, a condition, more as, like, a specific group, it it might make more sense. Mm. Um, but the theory is that Kavoth has become cursed uh, in the same way that the Shandrian all have been cursed, and that's why he's had to change his name in the same way that the Shandrian are trying to erase evidence of their names. So he's changed his name to protect himself from whatever this curse is. But his sign, and remember we said the signs are things that would actually be detrimental to the people. Um, his sign would be the silence, and that's why he can't have music anymore. Ugh, so he essentially has to live eternally with no music, which leads him to be the man, the cut flower sound waiting to die. Yeah. Like, all the Shandrian are just waiting to die. They're just waiting to die. Which is, oh, it's just heartbreaking. And that's why, like, Folly the Sword would be there, because it's, like, a reminder, like, maybe he killed Cinder. Yeah, like, and- however he became a Shandrian, there's a couple of theories I have about, like, how that occurs. Yeah, and... <sighs> but it's so cool. I think that makes a lot of sense, too, because then he had to lock away his name in the thrice log chest and, like, do- take all these precautions and, like, hide away in the middle of nowhere as, like, an innkeeper... Not because he started a war and he's feeling guilty, but because, like, his Shandrian signs, like, kill people. So, right. like, maybe this was, like, his like only he's way. he's carrying a curse. Yeah. Because everything we've seen about Kvothe up to this point is that, like, he is fearless. He has not much regard for authority. So, like, the fact that he killed a king, I think a lot of people originally assumed is the reason why he's in hiding. But if... Like, it just doesn't really add up with his character. Yeah, that wouldn't be enough for him to be like, I'm in trouble by the Iron Law. I gotta go hide. He'd be like, fuck the Iron Law. I'm gonna, like, like, I'll wiggle my way out of it. Like, I'll find a way. Yeah. But this, like, totally <laughs> resigned... <Fuck the> police. <laughs> <laughs> like, this totally resigned, dead Kavoth, essentially, makes so much more sense if you know you're cursed to live forever with, like, out your greatest joy. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. I know. It's this so is heartbreaking. Sad. He loves his music. Poor Kavoth. I know. <laughs> My boy. Like, what happens to you? Do you want me to go into that a little bit more? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I'm going to take it away with, like, some big, big theories here. Take it away, Ern. <laughs> so, the first theory I mentioned is that the Cathay is Salitos. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very big theory that a lot of people believe. I am eh on it, but only because there's another theory that I find to be more intriguing. Before I get into these, I just want to like review what we know about the Cathay. So we haven't met the Cathay in the books yet, um, but the Cathay is a creature, not a tree, uh, that is, he's bound to a tree in the Fey Realm. When you read it, did you think that the tree was the Cathay? I did and I didn't. I feel like there was like a spirit or entity 
on the tree. Mm-hmm. I think I saw somewhere like someone had Ill- like put in an illustration of a very similar like uh, the snake for like the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And I loved that. I thought that was like really interesting. So there's a lot of like parallels between the Cathay being like the snake in the Garden of Eden and during Kavos interactions with it, it's described as sinewy and blurry and it makes a couple of hissing sounds, which makes it even more snake-like, mm. which is kind of interesting. But it, he is, um, you know, a creature in a tree offering knowledge at a price, which is very similar to the Garden of Eden story. So yeah, the Cathay can only speak the truth, but he also pushes people onto the path of most destruction. Um, we know that the Cathay spoke to Eax before he stole the moon and started the creation war, and spoke to Lonray before they did before he betrayed Myrtorinial. So he's like always there right before these big devastating events. But from their stories, we can kind of deduce who they may have spoken to. The Cathay is also responsible for the Fasting Way War, which is a story about a princess who was saved by a peasant. The peasant had gone to the Cathay for a Rinna flower, which sounds very similar to Te Rinta, the Chandrian. And then he saves the princess. They fall in love, but she breaks her engagement with someone else and it leads to a civil war and causes a famine. So, like, thousands and thousands of people die. Um, the Cathay is guarded by a group of, I guess, warriors called the Sith. And their whole purpose is to prevent anyone from coming in contact with the Cathay, which is interesting because Kvothe just, like, walks right up there. It's said that even if a crow lands on the body, they will kill the body too, or kill the crow too. And this, I always thought, was just, like, an excessive measure thing because it was all, like, tainted. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so here's where it gets good. So, potentially, the Cathay who is described a couple of times as having like biting words or a bite, like specifically a bite, might be infecting people. And even when Kvothe leaves the Cathay, Florian checks his whole body over for bites. Um, so the theory is that the Cathay might bite people and uh, cause essentially like that's how skin dancers are made. Yeah, like corruption. Right. And that might also be how the Chandrian are made. I'm not too sure about that. It's a little iffy. And the reason people think that is because that the Sith also hunted the skin dancers. So, like, they think that, like, it might just be this kind of, like, I guess if you think about it, it as, like, zombies, essentially. Yeah, like spawns. Like spawning. And we know that the Sith are mentioned as a specific fear of the Shandrian. So it seems like whatever the Sith are hunting, which is the, the Cathay's, like, sickness or contagion or curse... Uh, is related to the Chandrian as well. Super cool. It's so cool. So I think this really is going to play into a couple of the theories I have. Um, And I think that might also be how Kvothe becomes a Chandrian. He might become infected with whatever this is. But the Cathay's tree is surrounded by butterflies, and he, during his conversation with Kvothe, is killing them. Uh, During that conversation, he doesn't tell Kvothe anything new about the Chandrian, which kind of sucks because he's supposed to be like the one character that's supposed to know a lot about the Chandrian. Except for that, Kvoth will need to go to the Stormwall Mountains to get answers, which is how he ends up going to uh, the Adem. But I just want to talk about the butterflies for a minute. Yeah, this part's really cool. So I got this theory from uh, the... You're going to love this name, Sam. The Yillist. Ah, yes. (laughs) That's great. And uh, Tobias Masnick, who are both users on Reddit. They noticed that the butterflies that they killed in the scene are all different colors. The first one that he kills is red and gold, which are the same colors as the Calanthus family, which is uh, the family the current king is from. 
And so the prediction is that each butterfly that the Chandrian or the Kvay kills that Kvothe is talking with him leads to a death or a disaster. And the like colors, the butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the colors represent it. So the red and golden represents the king, which obviously we know Kvothe kills the king. There's an iridescent blue and black one, which probably represents Cinder. There's a sapphire one, which represents Mayor Alvaron. Yeah, because he wears ivory and saffron. Or uh, sapphire, not saffron. How do you remember, like, such details? I don't know. My brain's a weird place. (laughs) Um, There's one that's undescribed, which people have theorized might be Denna, because she's always changing her identity. Ooh. Um, But then there's also a blue one that could be for Denna because of her ring. Mm. Or for Bast because his eyes are blue. Not my best. Well, then you're going to be really upset about this next one. There's a purple one that the Thay describes as sweet and innocent, which might represent Sim, Ari, or Felurian. I didn't even contemplate Sim and being a victim in this story, and it it's very likely because even Kavolt keeps saying like this book's a tragedy, and whenever he describes his friends, it's always like better than I deserved, and it's always like it sounds past tense sometimes. Ugh! If Simon dies, I think I'll be heartbroken. Ugh! Gentle Sim. Would you rather it be Ori? No, I wouldn't want it to be anyone. <laughs> it's so sad. I feel like if it were to happen to either one, like. It'll be, like, the equivalent of, like, Kavoth going into, like, the Avatar state, like, just blind rage fury. Ugh, it's so upsetting. Ugh, I can't, no. None of them. <laughs> Some of them are gonna die. Spare the innocents. Oh. I know. I feel like Sim, unfortunately, is the classic character that's gonna get knocked off Ugh, pretty no. early because he's done nothing wrong to hurt anyone, and it's, like, just the perfect target to enrage Kavoth. Or Ari. Fuck, they both would be, like, the one. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> Don't do this to us, Pat. You should do for Oh, man. My imaginary characters are having problems. I'm upset. <laughs> um, well, okay, moving on. The last three that the uh, Cathay kills are three green ones, which might be the three names of Kvoth, Coat, and Maedra. So, like, symbolizing oh. Kvoth's death. Because he has As, green eyes. Yeah, and he always wears a green cloak. My boy. <laughs> oh, no. So we know Kavoth, like, symbolically dies. But there is a chance that, like, he might also die at the end of the third book. We don't know. I mean, he keeps saying how it's supposed to be a tragedy, and we keep getting this whole, like, waiting for a man to die thing. I know. But if I he's been cursed not. to be immortal, then it doesn't add up with my other theories, so. Mm. Problem is, all these series are really good, and, like, sometimes I can't fit them all into my brain. But that leads me to the theories that we have about the Cathay. So the one that I mentioned before is that the Cathay is Salitos, which we learned about Salitos from Scarpy's theory. Like we mentioned, he is Lonre's advisor, uh, and he is betrayed by Lonre at Mere Tyrannial. Salitos in the story has a site that allows him to read the hearts of men, and we know he's a powerful namer. Which the Cathay, Cathay kind of has in a way because he like says all these things that like stir everyone's emotions and causes them to do these like crazy actions that have a ripple effect. Right. We know that when Salitos cuts his eye, it says that he gives up his eye to gain a better sight, which might be the Cathay's like foresight. Ooh. Wow. So he might not be in like whatever form the Cathay currently is in when he speaks to Lanre, but that would mean that he technically did, Lanre did speak to the Cathay before he betrayed Mir Turniel. 
mm. because he spoke to Salitos. This would make sense with the lackless box being the glass because then whatever is binding Salitos to the tree, because it's the same wood, would be binding his glass inside the box, which is made of the same rinna wood. Oh, shit. Yeah. He, there might be some kind of magic going on that's like binding them together. Um, but yeah, so possibly the Cathay's like foresight became so strong. So whatever foresight Salitos was granted might have become so strong that he has to be put in a tree in the Fey realm to protect, like, protect other people from him. And that's why he's bound. And from Denna's story, which I forget what her like version of the story is called, but in her version of the story, Salitos betrays Lanre and speaks cruel and biting words. So there's that Cathay bite again. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Salitos is the bad guy. Folly. <laughs> it's so confusing. Um, so much to speculate. There's so much to speculate. Another theory is that the Cathay is the either the hermit or the tinker from the story of Eax. So the story of Eax or Jax, the luckless boy, is told by Hespi and passed down uh, in her family. And she tells it to Kvoth. And before Kvoth, or before Jax steals the moon, in the story he speaks to a tinker and a hermit. So people have assumed that one of those two has to be the Cathay if he spoke to one of them, spoke to the Cathay before he stole the moon. So Jax makes a deal with a tinker to see if he can show him anything in his pack that he'll like. Uh, but Jax wants the moon and Jax takes all of the tinker's stuff and then offends the tinker, which is a bad omen. So maybe the Cathay is like a tinker gone bad. And theoretically, tinkers may have evolved out of knowers, people who can see the future. And maybe the Cathay is like a really powerful knower. Interesting. Which might be why tinkers have such like lore around them too. Hmm. Um, but then Jax then goes onward and meets a hermit who tells him all of the valuable things that he got from the tinker that can be used to trap the moon. Um, so he's kind of like egging him on the way that they would. Yeah. And the hermit in some theories was also Tekum. So Tekum was like a philosopher. So theoretically that hermit could be Tekum. Tekum could also be the Cathay because he would be smart enough to understand people and understand consequences and like put people on the wrong path but yeah the evidence is that we know that jack spoke to the cathay before he started the creation war and the hermit was a powerful namer and maybe manipulated him so it's very vague theory wise but i do like the idea that tinkers maybe have evolved from knowers which is kind of cool yeah that brings me to my big reveal of my final theory But before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, so this brings us to the theory that I have pieced together and unearthed and sleuthed around that I think really ties in, like, all of the elements of the story and makes so many things click together. And I'm, like, so excited (sighs) about this theory. So the core of this theory is that the Cathay is Incanus, the enemy of Telu. Um, so he's, as we remember, seen as the most powerful demon and kind of symbolizes like the devil, whereas Telu is supposed to be like God or um, like good. But we know that Bast says there are no demons. So therefore, Encanus must be a powerful fae, which makes more sense that he would be in the fae realm then and would actually be a real character versus like a religious 
kind of mythological figure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the main clues that we have from the story of Incanus that Scarpy tells in Name of the Wind is that when Incanus is hit, it makes a sound of quenching iron, which is like the sound that is made when iron hot iron goes into water, which is a hiss. We know the cafe hisses because it literally says that, that when... Oh, I never even thought about that. Wow. Yeah, so like that, like, when, like, hot, hot iron goes into water. Mm. And the smell of burning leather. And the cafe is specifically described as smelling of leather, spice, and smoke. So similar smells. Wow. Continue. Sorry, (laughs) I just, I've never really even considered that to be, like, a, a possibility. Right? It's so interesting. Um... So, yeah, and we know that uh, there's a lot of parallels between the Cathay and a snake in the Garden of Eden, which is, like, very similar to how Encanus is interpreted as, like, the devil. So, kind of connecting a lot of symbology together there. Mm. Well, on the Iron Wheel in the story, we also know that Encanus experiences severe pain while lying, and the wheel will make that, like, loud ringing sound. And we know that the Cathay can't lie, but it potentially doesn't want to lie, if that is the repercussion. Yeah. So, like, if it experiences severe pain, because it's Incanus, theoretically, then it wouldn't lie. But Incanus, being a devilish-like figure, would put people down the path of the most destruction. So that, like, clicks with his character. So this main, like, core of this theory has... I now have, like, two or three pages of notes about, like, interesting side possibilities um so one thing that's really interesting is the connection between the Cathay and skin dancers so we know that the sith who protect the Cathay and prevent anyone from coming near the Cathay were also responsible for hunting skin dancers who are supposed to be extinct according to vast but we see one in the name of the wind so they are now out and about where they came from is potentially the Cathay itself so the Cathay is described as having a bite that is contagious, um, and that bite might create or cause skin dancers to become in existence, Whoa. which would make sense if if the Cathay is more of like a f- creating like some kind of physical contagion, and that would add up with why the Sith would kill even a bird that landed on a body <gasps> that had been in touch with the Cathay. Oh, that makes so much more sense, because I always thought it was like, it was so evil that even the birds that are eating off the people that were interacting with the Cathay are killed because it was just like It bad just has vibes. to be, right? But, but it makes so much more sense if there's like something they're trying bodies. to not like spread. Yes. Oh my God. This kind of ties into the story we hear about the creation war and the, the way that the Adem talk about the creation war as like the main enemy uh, being a worm that poisoned the cities. So a similar worm is similar to a snake, which is kind of how we're feeling about the Cathay. Um, and if it's poisoning the cities, it might be that the Cathay is like a master skin dancer moving between bodies or infecting more people to become skin dancers. Wow. Um, but this could also explain the behavior of Eax and Lanre if the Cathay jumped into their bodies and controlled them when they did their like horrible deeds. Oh yeah, because when uh, Salatos uh, gives Lanre that moment of clarity, the first thing that he says is like, "Kill me!" Kill like me. as if like, like he... as if he's not in control. Wow. And there's that whole thing with like Eax too, because you get that whole story in the beginning where he's in the Fey realm and 
that allegory of the folding house is like the beginning of the creation war and he right. like falls in love with the moon, but then he has like a total split change of character moment throughout that story. Right. So what if they're not acting of their own accord? What if the Cathay is, like is somehow influencing them by like possessing them? Yeah, and it's more than just like when it talks to you, you you have are actions that like turn bad, but more like we're you're actually being like, changed. When he talks to you, like it could be that like he's coming into your body. And when Kavoth comes back to Felurian after speaking with the Cathay, she literally tackles him to the ground and checks over his whole body for bite marks. Yeah. So she's worried that like he may have been like infected, infected and, changed. and changed by this. <gasps> Things. Right? <laughs> it's so crazy. And it just makes so much sense of like Lanre, who was this great hero and fighting for good for years and years and years, all of a sudden switches yeah. and becomes evil. Now, And then when he sees what he's done, begs for like forgiveness by being killed, like is the only way he thinks he can escape this fate. Yeah. So very interesting that like maybe the Cathay is controlling people physically. This... Might also, I had this kind of side note is that like Haliax, um, who is Lonray, might mean breath of Eax, so he could have been made by Eax. Oh, so therefore, oh. maybe like the Cathay was controlling Eax, and then somehow like this contagion spread to or Lonray, like... who became Haliax. Kind of okay. interesting. Um, that's just kind of a side note, that's a connection people have made, so I think those. Two characters are definitely connected in some way. There definitely has to be a connection at, at one point because Landry was never a namer. And when he comes back... He is a namer. He becomes a namer and somehow tries to call Lyra back. Right. And like, the way how she did do you for him. get that power if you never had it before? It doesn't make any sense. And it's like, maybe... And this is super duper stretch. Maybe Eax is Haliax. And like, because he was like somehow when Lanre has a change of heart, maybe mm-hmm. has to do with something like Eax taking over. It could. And that's why he's Which, like, able to EX name at that point. If is skin dancing from the Cathay, then, like, it could just be, like, spreading from character to character. I mean, this this is, like, 80 different loops. So, like, that's... It's I don't so even know. I don't even know at that point. But, but there is a thought that Lyra is a lackless, so she might be related somehow to Eax because he's always described as a boy with no luck. Therefore... Luckless, luckless, luckless. Right. Oh, it's so complicated. The webs, the webs that are weaved. It's so complicated. But if this is the case, like if Incanus is a skin dancer possessing different characters, it would make a lot of sense why there are those parallels between the myth of Incanus destroying seven cities and the story of the creation war where Lanre destroys seven cities and like why there are so many parallels. And I think we're made. To believe that like the parallels are there because of like the story evolving over so many years and right, taking getting, on different influences and, and like being incorrect. But, but like, what if they are literally the same story, like the same origin event that then like split into multiple stories? It's definitely likely because like all this book, like the one congruent theme throughout this whole entire series, is that the stories you hear are real. Right. Like, there's truth to them. None of these are just fantasy, like, stories. Exactly. And, like, we know that the story of Lanre comes up so often because that's the origin of the Shandrian. But 
Patrick Roth has spent all this time telling us the story of Taylor and Canis, and like there are those parallels there, but it doesn't seem to be nearly as influential to the plot. And I feel like that's because we don't know how they connect yet. Mm. Like it's got to be important somehow. Another kind of side note is that Encanus, uh, in his story, is described as cursing Taylor and speaking unknown languages. Yeah. And when the skin dancer shows up in the end of Name of the Wind, he's speaking those like gibberish languages. So just another clue that people are like a parallel picking up on. Yeah. And this kind of all leads back to that theory that like Kavoth might also be a Shandrian because the Shandrian may have been skin dancers or like part of the Cathay's web at one point because we know so this is like I'm not sure how much I believe this part of it I definitely am really behind the theory that like Incanus is the Cathay and is a skin dancer like I think that makes a lot of sense to me this stuff that I'm about to discuss I'm not sure how I like how much I believe it but there is a theory that the Shandrian are being hunted by the skin dancers because they somehow betrayed the Cathay. We know that the Cathay says Cinder did him a bad turn once, and he's potentially using the skin dancers to hunt the Shandrian down. Ooh. Because we do see that Shandrian, or the, the skin dancer, ask Kavoth, are you a Shandrian? So we know he's looking for Shandrian. Mm. There's like thought that maybe the Shandrian are eliminating information about themselves because they were like poisoned by the Cathay and are trying to then escape the Cathay's poison. But if this is the case, I'm really unclear on why they are different from other skin dancers. So I don't know if they were like somehow connected um, or if they were like possessed by skin dancers and then tried to betray the Cathay and now they're enemies. But I know that they are kind of opposing each other. Mm. So I think that is like the main huge theory that I think is so interesting. And I think that... Since we know that every encounter with the Cathay ends in tragedy or chaos, this stacks up with him being in Canis because he's, like, the devil. I think it could explain why Kavoth is, like, in hiding now, is because he may have become infected by the Cathay. I'm not sure. I know. There's, like, so many... It's so hard. There's so much unknown, and there's so many possibilities and, like, what-ifs that it's enough to make your head spin. And I can't wait to find out what actually happens come day three when we get, like, the next section of, like, Kabul's story. I'm so intrigued. But it's, like, the speculation enough is, like, fantastic that, like, if Patrick Rothfuss doesn't have all these details i think we were mentioning earlier like Mm -hmm. the fans have done so much like digging and like dot connecting that like he could definitely pull influence from what like the fans have like conspired i think so too i mean i think we know in the third book that like the doors of stone are going to be unlocked i think it just depends like do the shandrian unlock it to free incanis because they're in league with him or does kavoth accidentally unlock it and i think it's gonna be his fault and And, like it's like this whole spilling out of like because I think it just makes so much sense if, like, Incanus is the devil. He's behind the doors of stone and is the great enemy who's locked away. Mm. And then somehow it opens. Like, oh, holy shit. Shit's gonna go down. So cool. So cool. But that was, like, the crazy theory that I uncovered and pieced together. And I just wanted to, like, that's the end of all my notes. But I wanted to quickly just say, like, all of the sources I used in case people are interested. 
Um, so we definitely mentioned that we get a lot of our, uh, we watch a lot of videos by Captured in Words, who's like a fantasy YouTuber. Um, he's really good. But I was also on Reddit and the Kingkiller Wiki a lot. Um, and the Reddit users that I noticed posted a lot were one called Q, Q-O-O-U, um, The Yillist. Uh, I like that one. And uh, Tobias Masnick. Uh, oh, Thistlepong and Incanus Unbound. So just if anyone's interested, like those were where I got a lot of information, but I also connected a lot of dots on my own too and pieced things together in preparation. So, man, I'm just, I'm really excited about that theory. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And there's just so much potential. I think so. I think it really connects a lot of things that seemed very disparate before and like I couldn't figure out how they pieced together. Yeah. All right, but do you want to take us into our next couple of theories? Yeah, so this one um, I have here brings us back to an all-too-familiar character and a lot of the mystery that surrounds her, and maybe we'll shed some light on her origins. Denna. No, no <laughs> Denna theories. Thank goodness. She has too much mystery, and I think that's going to be the point of her character, is that we're never going to get more background. I don't think we will. It's like it's just part of her. It's like the Han Solo of the like world. She's just like the mysterious like drifter, kind right. of like shady past, and is who she is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is like there's definitely a lot of theories out there about like what happened to her and why she's in her current predicament, and like right. there is a theory that her family was also killed by the Shandrian, and, like, her and Kvothe are on similar paths. But... Oh, that would be cool. And it's like, you idiots, if you just opened up. And... I know. If you just talked to each other. Talk to her. <laughs> but, ugh, yeah. All right, but, no, not Denna. This one's actually around the one, the only, the incomparable, our lovely Ari. Oh, I love Ari. So Me too. This one, very popular fan theory. Everyone's pretty I think it's much like convinced almost it's canon accepted. at this point. Yeah. But um, a lot of people are under the impression that Ari is, in fact, Princess Ariel. And there is a lot to unpack on this fan theory. And I got to give a big shout out again to that Reddit user, uh, Ku, uh, Q-O-O-U. And I'm just going to kind of go through this with uh, some supporting details and rationale behind it all. Just like a quick question before yes. you go into all the details. Is the only place we know about Princess Ariel from the very, very beginning when Kavoth is talking to Chronicler before he even agrees to do the story and just says, like, I can tell you the truth about Princess Ariel? Yeah, so he's actually talking to Aaron when he mentions this little oh, side really? excerpt. Yeah, because he's trying to convince Aaron not to take the king's coin. Oh. And he's like, what if I told you I'm Kavoth? He's like, I can tell you stories no one's heard before or ever hear again. Um, and this is obviously in the beginning of Wise Man's Fear, so this is all like the foreshadowing he's talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, how I uh, met Falurian, how I learned to fight with the Adem, the truth about Princess Ariel. That's interesting because those other two things are answered in that book. And obviously we get and a little we cliffhanger don't, for three. Yeah, we don't. Well, like we know about Falurian, we learn about the Adem. Because that, those are things that come up in Wise Man's Fear, but we don't learn the truth about Princess Ariel in book two, mm. unless it's like right under our noses and no one's pieced it together yet. Right. So, first thing that we have is um, the fact that Ari and Ariel are obviously very similar, mm-hmm. and um, there's an interaction that Kavoth has with Ari and 
Master Loden on the rooftops one evening where they're like having a uh evening stroll and like picnic on the roofs. I think that was our most recent episode. Yeah, and so um after that interaction, Elodin then agrees to teach Kavoth in the naming class. And a wide suggested theory is that Elodin obviously knew who Ari, aka Princess Ariel, is and mm-hmm. was very surprised and impressed that Kavoth could kind of um like guess her name. Decipher it, yeah. But part of this ongoing fan theory about Ari being Princess Ariel is that she attended the university under like a she false must have name. done it under a false name because there's no hubbub about like where's the princess right like that would be pretty big this is the one thing i have i definitely think this is true like i think ori is princess ariel but i am confused as to why nobody knows there's a missing princess unless it's been like under completely wraps. under wraps yeah and so that also goes with a lot of theories in this uh book with like people censoring and hiding information and not letting secrets get out because oh. if there's like a princess on the loose and like missing people are gonna show up to the kingdom all the time with random women being like this is her i'll claim my reward or like That's could be true. a sign of like power of being like our kingdom's secure we wouldn't have a member of the royal family just go, go missing. missing yeah because or- I, I would think it'd be common knowledge of like everyone needs to find the princess but it is almost more embarrassing if people know that like you don't know where she is. Yeah, or like a warring or a rival nation Ooh. finding out and then like lying and being like, we're holding your daughter for ransom. These are our demands. Oh, shit. So, like just bluffing their way into it. Right. So I feel like for them, the smartest thing would be to keep their mouth shut and be like, I don't know. Mm, mm, you oh, know? she's fine. Exactly. So that's my thought process on it. I could see that. Um, there's like... Sense. There's a little bit of a buildup with some of these um, implied what-ifs regarding Ari being at the university under a different name. Um, One of the little suggestions or, like, excerpts comes from a part where Simon is talking about how there's this girl, Tabitha, that was seeing Ambrose and that he had promised to marry her and obviously didn't. She had just disappeared. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. I think that's... Like, the one clue we have that maybe Ari had been going by a different name. Yeah, and then there's um a, a suggested, or not suggested, there well, it's kind of a suggested theme of, like, assault in the slow regard of silent things. Yeah, I forget what context it's under, because I've only read that once, and I read it a while ago. But there is, like, a scene where Ari says, like, has, like, a flashback or, like, some kind of implied moment of, like, Someone had forced themselves upon her at one point. Yes, and I can actually pull that up. Oh, you're so prepared. I am. So, she knew if you weren't always stepping lightly as a bird, the whole world came apart to crush you. Like the house of cards, like a bottle against stones, like a wrist pinned hard beneath a hand in the hot breath smell of want and wine. And, you know, this is speculation that Ari was potentially sexually assaulted and... Ambrose has always had a more assertive and aggressive tact with women. I mean, yeah, it's like heavily implied that he is like aggressive with women, and I would not put that out of like past him at all. Like that seems exactly in line with his character. And um, there's obviously in the wise man's fear that girl who is almost a metaphor for Ari that 
um, they're kind of um, assaulted by the false Adi Maru, and one girl kind of just cracks, and she looks like Ari. She's, like, blonde and stuff. The two girls captured by the false Adi Maru? Yeah, and uh-huh. so what this fan theory is suggesting is, like, obviously it could be the pressures of university, pressures of royal life, and then being, like, sexually assaulted was enough for her to go through the uh, doors of madness and kind of crack and go insane. Plus the pressure of, like, keeping your true identity hidden. Yes. Like, that's a lot to be keeping track of. I think, like, the pressure of all that and then, like, being, like, assaulted and being, like, well, it's Ambrose Jackass, like... His family is also, like, regal, also... Well, also, if you know you're supposed to marry this person, and they're, like, raping you, like, that's so disturbing. Like, if you... If that's presented to you as, like, your future, no wonder you have a breakdown. Yeah. That's terrifying. Absolutely. And so, that's part of the puzzle, and so... I wish we knew more about this Tabitha character. Yeah, and so there's actually a really cool little additional information in here mentioning that Tabitha is a biblical name... A woman restored to life by St. Peter, so almost kind of how um, Ariel becomes Ari, like, it's just yeah. a change. And Well, she could also be restored eventually by Kvothe. Right. Yeah. And there's a big part of that, like, rescuing princesses from Sleeping Barrow Kings. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know what, while we're talking about that, um, the uh, location of the university is Bellany Barrow. Yeah. So from Sleeping Barrel King could definitely refer to... Like uh, the under thing being called Bellany Barrow. Because it's... I think it's called that because it's supposed to be Bellin, which is one of the cities that was not... Or was destroyed by Lanre. Right. Um, And then a barrow is like a burial place. So like if the entire city was destroyed, it would be the barrow of that city, so called Bellany Baron. And we know that Kavoth writes the address of the university down at one point as Bellany Baron. Yes. Barrow. Whatever. If he's referring, like, if the under thing is a barrow and that's where Ari lives, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so there's also a really cool little aside here where um, Tabitha is a little translation of the Greek name Dorcas, which literally means gazelle. And that is definitely a great adjective of like oh, very Ari's gray flighty style, yeah, and like flighty nature. She's always like darting and running because yeah. things can be overwhelming for her. Oh, yeah. So that was actually really cool. Speaking of Ari's like movements too, one other really big clue for her being Princess Ariel is that Kvothe always describes like being near her as like very regal like she moves in a very like elegant and refined way and it's always like having tea with royalty and that's yeah an interesting set of words yeah um she always does like a a curious half step or bow like a curtsy yes like these habits that are very upper class and royal she still is maintaining yep and then like when she's drinking uh one of the quotes is you think she was having tea with the king, mm-hmm. or you know, this makeshift meal seems like a formal dinner in a nobleman hall. They they are applying all these royalty like um, terms, yeah, characteristics for her, mm-hmm. and I think this is more than just like it's intentional. It's clearly intentional. Oh, it's absolutely intentional. And you it, can pick it, any words. Yeah, it's more than just trying to give like Ari dignity due to the fact that she's like homeless and cracked and living like underground, like. Patrick Rothfuss. It's, like, ingrained as part of, like, her habits. Like, this is how she was raised as a princess. So, like, it's not like, oh, she's just trying to live nicely even though she's homeless. Like, she's actually someone who these are their habits because that's how they were raised. Right. 
I mean, I'm fully on board with the theory. I think it's absolutely correct. Oh, I cannot wait to see how it plays out. And um, I'm, I'm really intrigued by like the sleeping Barrow King. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And I'm wondering if, and this is just like a hope beyond hope, and I don't think it's a possibility, but somehow spending enough time with Kavoth can like bring Ari back to herself and like become whole again. I hope she can be healed. Like, never I mean, back to how she was, but have a greater sense of who she was and remember who she is. Aloden cracked and is, like, not as he's cracked. He's off, but he's, he's still off, but he, whole. like, is whole. Yeah. I just, I'm very impressed with the amount of um, time that that Reddit user Q or Q spent, you know, collecting this information because it's very solid and... Yeah, they've, like found lots and lots of tiny details for so many different topics in the King Killer Chronicles. So if anyone's interested in like poking around and doing their own research, definitely try to look up some of their stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, so interesting. There is a really cool little addition here um, that's re- referencing to Ambrose, meaning um, with this whole like theory about Ambrose being the one who um, assaulted Tabitha or Ariel or Ari all being the same, but... um. Mm-hmm. The name Ambrose means immoral or um, divine. It likely immoral de- or immortal. Immortal or divine. Sorry, I okay. misspoke. Um, it derives from the word ambrosia, which is like the food or drink of the gods, thought mm-hmm. to confer immortality. Or that disgusting salad made of oranges and marshmallows and Ugh, coconut. It's so <laughs> gross. But it like it kind of makes sense in the context of this book where. Ambrose does things without impunity and he gets away with everything. So, like, him being, like, immortal. Oh, interesting. Because, the, the, uh, you know, the power his family has. Well, his family's also very old. So, they're, like, yeah. a family that has not died out in a really long time. Like, and a it, long lineage, too. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to um, a conversation Mayor Alvaron has with Kavoth when he first uh, makes his way to Ventus, where he's saying... You know, there's a difference between uh, granted power and acquired acquired power. Mm-hmm. And he's saying it's always better to have granted power because um, he knows that, like power can be taken away. But once you know that, you know you can prevent it. There's a really interesting quote with it, and I'm gonna I want to dive back to it at some point. But well, I mean, we discussed so many theories, and it was hard because we haven't like gotten to a lot of the parts where all the clues are given in the podcast yet yeah like i pulled out so much stuff about the cathay and the fey realm and like both has not yet gone there in our like coverage of the books right so i think as we come across those portions it'll be awesome to like revisit these theories and like pick apart every single scene and that's the funnest part about these books where yeah we i love fantasy books and a lot of them are well written in different ways i feel like fantasy tends to be adventure though Mm. and I love that. Like, I love, like, the grandiose, like, story of, like, put the hero on their path and, like, there's going to be a big battle at the end and, like, all will be well. Yeah. But this different kind of winding story with, like, bits and pieces clued in and we're not really sure, like, even who the enemy is. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like, Kavo thinks he knows. So, therefore, like, we think we know that the Shandrian are the bad guys, but, like, maybe they're not. Yeah, there's so much mystique and intrigue and I think... My favorite thing about these books is, and I've said this like a thousand and one times, but you read these books the very first time and you think you got the story and then you go back and you are just like, 
dumbfounded with how much amount of information that you missed. It's and- absolutely crazy how much is like peppered in. Yeah. And even like, I mean, what, you've read them three or four times now? You're still finding things. You're like, how did I miss this? Yeah. And the plot, like, the plot isn't super action-packed, but the chapters are so dense with information that sometimes I'll read the book and, like, I don't even remember what I, fully what I read because there was so much in there. Yeah, or constantly lately when I've been rereading... I'll like it'll literally just be something as if like one sentence or like a word and I'm like oh my god that was the build up and the like the foreshadowing and the secret clue for this event coming up later on that I didn't even think about yeah like um, and that's how you would never know like the story itself is good I love the story of like Kavoth's struggles yeah which is why you like to read it the first time but then Every subsequent reread, you get deeper and deeper and deeper into the layers. Yeah, and it just, oh, it's awesome. Very few books have done for me what this series has, and that's one thing, like, one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much. Yeah, I'm really enjoying just, like, the the wordplay and the, like, folklore play mm. and how they're layered together, I think, makes for world building that feels very real and feels immersive and exciting and it feels like we're on the adventure with Kavoth and like yeah. understanding things in the same sequence that he does absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but like one thing i'm like so sad for it to eventually end because we know it's gonna end in tragedy Ugh, i know but what i would love and this is like my own like insert for fan theory is what if these books end like with the present and then it ends with, like, Chronicler hearing Cavill's story and fully understanding who he is and having, like, experience enough at the university and, like, studying, like, naming and everything since he knows the name of Iron. If he can, like, deduce Cavill's true name and, like, unlock himself in order to, like, remember his true name in order to open up that thrice-locked chest and, like, have this moment of, like, returning to, like, his power and who he is. And being like, there's work to do. Time to, like, save the world. And that be, like, the next section of books. I mean, it has definitely been said that these books are a prequel to another story Mm. of, like, the current world, the frame story. So I think that's definitely a possibility. And I think, man, I think it's even, it fits in with the theory that Kavoth is a Shandrian because he had to lock his name away for, like, protection. Yeah. And then, like, if he can, like, release like unleash his true self he might be able to like break the curse of whatever is like causing him to want to die and like yeah. be waiting to die oh man that's so cool uh, and i know we were saying it earlier in the episode but like it's so fitting and heartbreaking that his curse would be silence like one can't play his music so like nothing to live for and like he does speak but like i think it even mentions that he like sings a couple times so it's not like he can't but i don't think it's the same like way that well, he like weaves empty. music yeah in the past i also think that kavoth is quote-unquote like a singer with a capital s yeah and like someone who names is a very powerful naming through music mm. because we know that there are knowers singers shapers and movers in like the old lore of like where like all of this magic yeah, came like from creation war. yeah so i think kavoth might be a singer which like, having silence be your curse would just make so much sense. I know, it hurts. It destroys his power. Yeah. Oh, man. So cool. So cool. 
So I think this actually is where we're going to be leaving off for this episode of uh, Fan Theories for this week. But just a big thank you to all those Reddit users and YouTube uh, channels. You know, you guys are awesome part of the fandom. We love some of the content you guys are putting out. Um, when we post our episode this week, we're going to try and include links and stuff for those other users if you guys want to check them out. Yeah, absolutely. Give them a, like a watch or a listen or a read because like we did our best to summarize stuff, but there are so many theories out there. And I think we'll probably do a couple more theory episodes just because, like I said, we can't There's cover countless. it all. Yeah, we can't cover it all. But I feel like this was a really exciting way to celebrate like one year of the podcast. Um Despite it being now past one year because I was sick and we had to delay, but hey, like you know what, we're just glad we're back at it. Yeah, like we are ready to get back into our regularly scheduled episodes from here on out, and so I think it'll be really exciting. Sam's got his mini Aragon series in the works, yeah. So super I think it'll be really that. awesome way to launch into year two of fantastic books and how to read them. Woo! Heck yeah! <laughs> and until next time, guys, happy reading. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, check out our website, fantasticbookspod.com. Or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Fantastic Books Pod. Don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Thanks. Thanks.